shit, my memory's fried, man. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) These are the tales of baseball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons on and off-diamond moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the basis stories. I'm Patrick Filcher. I'm Matt Lopez. We're going to tell you the story of the 2011 Diamondbacks. Woo! Uh, so I had to do a little digging on this because it has been quite a, you know, it has been a minute. Um, but I do remember this, that we were coming out of a not so great season in 2010, (laughs) in 2010, pardon me. Um, and specifically what I do remember, uh, going back is that we'd had kind of a merry-go-round of first basements. Uh, 2010 was Adam LaRoche's, uh, last year with us or only year with us. I think he had 26 homers. And I know we were going to go with Xavier Nady, uh, was going to be our guy uh, going forward. Um, and I'm not even going to touch on Goldschmidt yet because he wasn't even a thought for most of us fans, even us diehards. Uh, we knew he was okay in, you know, in AAA. We knew he was good, but definitely wasn't on the radar for anyone. Uh, so I don't think anyone had any great expectations for 2011, uh, to be honest. Uh, Lopez, do you remember otherwise? I- Xavier Nady was kind of a pimp to me. I mean, I liked I liked watching him. I cheered for him. I mean, he's got a great baseball name, Xavier Nady. I mean, that's a pretty awesome name. So it, it, he was okay at first base, um, but, you know, the Dimebacks had bigger plans, but we don't really need to touch on Goldschmidt just yet. In 2010, Dimebacks had a terrible season. Um, A.J. Hinch was the manager, you know, that sick kid that's on the bus on The Simpsons right at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> That's what <laughs> every time I saw him in the dugout, and he was just a scout when he came on with the Diamondbacks. He was a scout, and it was his first ever managerial uh, try. And when I saw him come out, I was like, man, I, this guy doesn't look scary. He doesn't look like he can lead or anything like that. But, you know, lo and behold, A.J. Hinch goes on and, and later does what he does. But with the Diamondbacks, I didn't have any confidence in A.J. Hinch. And uh, who was he with? He was with Josh Burns, the GM, in 2010. So 2010 comes around, and the Diamondbacks are just terrible. And Ken Kendrick ain't having it. So Ken Kendrick gets rid of A.J. Hinch and Josh Burns. And who does he bring in? He brings in Gibby, the man, who's been the bench coach since 2007 for the Diamondbacks. Kevin Towers, rest in peace, was the GM. And so in 2011, those guys, you know, the, the team, in two, let's go back to 2010, the team didn't do, you know, still very well with, with uh, Kirk Gibson and Kevin Towers. But 2011, were we expecting any of that? No, not at all. We were expecting Kirk Gibson to kind of help rebuild the team. He's got that experience. You know, he's Kirk Gibson. He's grit. I think the whole thing with Kirk Gibson was the grit. And Kevin Towers was kind of the cowboy up, up in the uh, the office up there. So you've got the cowboy and you've got the grit. 2011, as as fans were like, yeah, you know, we got a good team, but are they going to compete after what we saw in 2010? Lo and behold, 2011 rolls around, they're competing. So 
just looking at this, man, I mean, we didn't start off too well right here. But then we started rolling in about May, halfway through May. Yep. Dimebacks sticking it up. And yep. uh, I, I think um, at least at the beginning of the season, you know, we were all as fans, you know, going to games, just not wondering or, or wondering what was going to happen. And uh, shit started going well for us at the beginning of the season. What do you think about mm-hmm. that term? Well, I remember uh, looking back, I remember a couple of things. Um, Ian Kennedy uh, really was lights out. He was absolutely incredible um, the, the entire season. He had 21 wins. Uh, and we really got to see it kind of early on. Uh, him and and Daniel and Huddy, or Daniel Hudson, were great one-two punch. Um, it really got things going from pitching side. And going into kind of what, you know, what we uh, – what happened in 2010. I think 2010 was uh, Justin Upton's third season. He was still very young. He started, uh, when, he started when he was 19, at, you know, right out of, out of the draft almost. And everyone had a lot of ex- expectations on what Justin Upton could do. There's a lot of uh, anticipation that he was going to be the star. Um, he was guaranteed to be the star. So there was a lot of expectations, you know, on what was going to happen with him. And he started. He started to live up to it in 2011. We really got to see what he was—a complete player. Um, I think he batted. I'm, I'm not going to pull up the sheet here, but I think he batted uh, like 289 for the season. Uh, he had, I think, he had 86 RBIs, um, batting for power too. I want to see he had more than 30 homers. Someone's going to correct me on that later. That um, sounds right. No, no, yeah. they won't. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> But it, so that was a that was a big step forward uh, for him, and there was a lot of I mean even now us Diamondbacks fans look, look back and you know think of like why he couldn't do that after 2011. But I'm not going to go there yet. Um, so there was there was a lot of potential that got realized uh, for him, and then there was also some surprising cast of characters. Uh, Tatman, uh, <laughs> as he became known. Um, yeah, so Ryan Roberts, our third baseman at the time, uh, was probably the most uh, tatted individual in baseball that I can remember. And Lopez, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that they did a giveaway of these like sleeves that you could put over your arms of his tats. <laughs> uh, from arm to arm. In, yeah, in these yeah. Suits. It almost looked like he had been in prison for about 25 years or so. Yeah, and yeah. Playing third base. It's very UFC of him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was so cool that, I mean, a lot of the fans, uh, he was definitely a fan favorite, him and Harada Para. But back yep. to Roberts, I mean, they even did the giveaway where um, you would get the sleeves that you go, you know, right when you give you a ticket at the door, they give you the sleeves. So everybody had tattoos, you know, at some point for Ryan Roberts in 2011. He, he was he was that guy. He was definitely uh, electric and uh, one of the uh, one of the fan favorites that season. He was so much fun to watch. He reminded me, and Lopez is going to hate me on this. He reminded me of Eric Burns, um, in that he w- he was instantly a, a fan hard. favorite. A tryhard. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, but more specifically, a tryhard that really came through on entertaining uh, the uh, team, uh, the the like fan base, and and he actually, you know, he really did show up on the uh, stat sheet as well that year. In fact, a lot of players showed up on the stats on the stat sheet. Uh, who never showed up again. Uh, Kelly Johnson had another great year. He was our second baseman at the time. He hit for the cycle, and actually, funny, you guys approaching us reminded me that in 2010, 
he hit for the cycle uh, the year prior, which was, I remember that was super cool to watch. Um, but yeah, it just seemed to me like in 2011, there was so many pieces that just came together perfectly. Uh, Miguel Montero, uh, he had his best home run season that year. Uh, everything just worked. And then kind of the crowning piece of that as we're kind of like looking forward was was Goldschmidt uh, coming in August 1st of 2011. Um, I, I forgot which writer, and I'm, I hope, Lopez, you, you might know this, but there was a writer in ESPN who had quite uh, made some quite uh, disparaging comments about Goldschmidt. That is, he had a big opening in his swing. You know, he was slow. He was not going to be a good. He was not going to be great at, at, as a you know at, at, as a first baseman. All these you know things. Lo and behold, you know, looking back, he's one of the best first basemen we've seen in a long, long time. And and one of the stats I pulled up from 2011 is um, so August first, his first at bat was a hit. Uh, the next day, he goes up against uh, Tim Lincecum. He goes up against Timmy. And he gets a home run <laughs> off of him. And one of the funny stats, and us Diamondbacks fans know, know is no. over um, his career versus Timmy, uh, he had a whopping 536 average. Slug, his slugging uh, was a whopping 1,300 against him. And for 28 at-bats, he had 15 hits, seven of which were homers. And I remember in, any that's game... That's insane. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There has He's... never been a pitcher-batter combo that has been so lopsided in who was winning that than Timmy and Goldie. And I remember any time after 2011 that I knew that we, we were going to go up against the Giants and that Timmy was going to be pitching, that we were going to win that game or at least have a crooked number at some point in, in the, that game because of that. So it, this was all the start of that. 2011 was the beginning of that. Lopez, you want to add on? I kind of rambled there for a while. <laughs> Great with, with uh, you know, Paul Goldsman and stuff. Let's go back to Justin Upton, man, because I remember there was a lot of contention on that easystankbit.com where, you know, at least when I joined, um, everybody was basically, you know, Justin Upton is, is the king, Justin Upton's future Hall of Famer, as uh, uh, Joe was saying earlier um, or speculating that, that, you know, Justin Upton's going to be this great guy. And, you know, his career's turned out pretty well. But, you know, we also saw a lot of things with Justin Upton on the Diamondbacks over the years, even past 2011, where we all kind of questioned what we were talking about. And I know on the Snake Pit, we got into a lot of disagreements and different opinions about where Justin Upton was going to end up and how his career would end. But going through the highlights of 2011, me specifically, I've always kind of been a Justin Upton's not very good at defense type of guy. Now, I don't read the numbers. I don't do the bar graphs. I don't do the stats. I can give a fuck about war, dude. You know, I, I just watch the games, and I've seen Justin Upton make some bonehead moves. But in 2011, watching these highlights, man, I was like, man, I was dumb to even say those things, you know, about Justin Upton. He made some great moves out, out in the outfield. Um, he was sliding. He, he was putting his body in danger. He was doing the things that needed to be done out in the right field. And so, Justin Upton, I want to say I apologize to you because I'm sure you've read some shit on Snake Pit about us talking shit about you. So you were actually really good in 2011 with the defense. And then that's complimented by Chris Young in center field for the 2011. 
not only with the defense out there, you know, Chris with the uh, the Hank Aaron type catch out there in center field, thought that was amazing. Um, but his bat was also great. You know, during the regular season, Chris Young had a great bat, and during the postseason, he had a good bat. Um, and then from there, you go to the middle infield of the 2011 Dimebacks. We have Stephen Drew at shortstop, and at second base, you got Kel- uh, yeah Kelly Johnson. Those guys were great out there. Mm-hmm. You had Ryan Roberts at third, but who's going to be at first? You know, we kind of went through um, like three or four different dudes that just were probably quadruple A type of players. And then we had Xavier Nady, who was going to be the guy, but then he got injured. And we bring up Goldschmidt, like you said, on August 1st. But the excitement of the 2011 Diamondbacks before Goldie even came up was that they went from last place in 2010 or, or a shitty place in 2010. They recruited well, last place in the NL West, at least. Yeah, and and then and then in 2011, they're hot, and the whole the whole atmosphere is hot. Kirk Gibson wants to fight everybody. The team wants to crap <laughs> the Dodgers. Um, you know, and 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 we had a rivalry with them at that time, and they'll tell you today that the Dodgers will tell you today we don't have a rivalry because they're shitting on us all the time. But then. That was a pure rivalry right there. 2011, that started everything. You guys remember in 2013, we got two brawls in one game. A lot of those same players that were on the Dodgers in 2011 were on the Dodgers in 2013 and vice versa for the Dimebacks. So that's kind of, for me, 2011, where the rivalry started with the Dodgers because yeah. the Dodgers weren't that great. I think they had third place in the NL West that season. Uh, uh, yeah, that they were third, yep. Yeah, that's kind of where it all started for me, and uh, I, I like that hype. I, Kirk Gibson, in the in the end, might not have been the best manager for the Diamondbacks, but man, he didn't give a fuck, and he wanted he was going to throw you some chin music. He was going to talk some shit, <laughs> but he could stop him. He's Kirk Gibson, dude. You're going to fight Kirk Gibson. You know what I'm saying? Don Manley can't fight Kirk Gibson. <laughs> no. There's there's no way. So, he can uh, if he wants to lose. Exactly. <laughs> the atmosphere was there. The, the just the hype, everything, and and being a Diamondbacks fan in 2011 was great. You know, going to the games and you see Dodger fans there, and and you know, just knowing that at least at that time we were treated as equals. If you've gone to a Diamondbacks game in the past three or four years, or even five years, it's it's been very lopsided. Lots of Dodger fans there, not a lot of Diamondbacks fans. So kind of had this equality in the stands and, and things. And it just it was just, you never knew what was going to pop off at that time. Facing the well, And the way I kind of going back is um, the, the uh, as a sports city, uh, the suns kind of were setting, you know, not to be you know, too poetic there, uh, but you know, the, the suns were kind of setting at that time frame. And it, it was a really good thing for the city in that, you know, there was something else to look forward to. Um, and there was a lot of good things, you know, potentially in the future. And I, I know we're not going to talk about 2012 and about the disappointment of that, but um, yeah, from a city standpoint, there was just like, you know, this very unexpected, like surprise, like, Oh wow. We actually have a good baseball team. Uh, that's not just good, but they're actually really good. And 
um, it just I, I think from a city standpoint, it just you know there's a lot of hype that happened pretty early on because it was just unexpected. No one really saw this coming. Yeah, we had some good pieces from 2010, but no one thought that it would get put together that quickly. Yeah, I, I think the biggest I think the biggest thing in 2011 for the Diamondbacks was probably Kirk Gibson. I mean, he he had mm-hmm. just that thing going on, and yep. he wanted to win. He wanted to go out and battle, and he didn't give a fuck who the fuck cared, you know, or thought about anything like that. It was just Kirk Gibson was the man. Um, and I think that he had that great season. We had all these guys compiled together. You got Young, you got Upton, and now you got Goldie. But we won all these different games when Goldie came up. I think M- Miguel Montero was a huge part of that, mm-hmm. Ian Kennedy. But Kirk Gibson, and we used to always make fun of his elbows. You remember that, Patrick? <laughs> Disrespect to Kirk Gibson. Kirk, <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching, um, you, Sorry, you Kirk. we love you. Them. To pull the pitcher or talk to the pitcher, you never moved your elbows. You just kind of swung your shoulders the whole time, but your elbows stayed locked in place. And so we called you Gibby's elbows. And if they were upset, <laughs> you were upset. And uh, the pitcher knew about it. So, yeah. Lopez brings up a good point, though. I mean, yes, Goldie looking back was exciting, but it really was 2011 was all about the rest of that team it was about miggy it was, it was about kelly johnson it was about ian kennedy there were so many pieces that fell into place perfectly uh, and cole mentor too uh, i i keep forgetting that, that was cole mentor's rookie year uh him of the goofy uh he was a, a, a like axe thrower was how he learned how to pitch was he's an axe thrower <laughs> And his pitching shows that. And, and actually, me in Little League, I used to throw just like that right over my head. Um, and I, I, you know, and I appreciate all you guys inviting me on this podcast because there's those little things that I forget uh, that uh, I was reminded of that, yeah, you know, that was an integral part of the uh, team. Uh, so it was a lot more than Goldie and the rest and the whole team worked together to get us to places where we really didn't think we were going to go. Going back to Colmenter, he won Game Three of the NLDS, you know, and had a really good game. I mean, his his stuff was so deceptive at the beginning of his career with the Diamondbacks. I, going back to the kind of the tomahawk chop throw for him, yeah. Nobody because yeah, from a release standpoint, no one really saw that. And like, I, I I guarantee you, there were very few pitchers that batters had faced that did that same kind of throw. I, I think it threw a lot of people off. It, it did, and we can even talk about J.J. Putz, the closer, mm-hmm. and he's doing the submarine sidearm. So you go from Cole Mentor, who's probably at that time in baseball, pitching to the seventh or eighth inning, doing good. And then you bring up J.J. Putz, who's going to throw you a submarine sidearm. So you're going to go from this way over here with the left hand to way down here with the right hand, and the Dimebacks had some good pitching at that time. Yeah. We really had a like a complete pitching squad, which is something we can't say for this year. Uh, but we'll talk about that some other day. Um, we really had a complete pitching squad. I mean, every everyone in our starting lineup was very solid. Um, Ian Kennedy was probably the only great pitcher, but everyone else was getting through at least six innings um, and getting through them, you know, fairly, you know, you know, fairly easily. Um, and, and that's kind of the, that, that's such an important thing in baseball is that if you have that kind of like pitching lineup, 
uh, you know, either your your one through three guys, your one, or or even just your 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 top two starters that are able to get through six innings, you have a good chance of you know putting up some Ws, and people forget that because yes, it is important to have a good bullpen, but you should not have to depend on that bullpen. You need to be able to get through to that sixth or even seventh inning so that you don't have to worry about so-and-so bullpen player who you know may not be great. You have options. And that's kind of the, you know, the big thing, the big difference between 2011 and this year is that we don't have that um, through injury or otherwise. It's just that if, if you're only going to go five, four to five innings and you have to go through, I mean, God knows how many bullpen players, it's it, it's a massacre. And 2011 was, in many ways, uh, perfect because we could depend on those starters to go deep into games. You know, from Coleman to Huddy uh, to Kennedy, uh, it was gonna it, it was almost guaranteed to happen each game that we were gonna get through at least six. And then uh, was it Micah Owings, one of our starting pitchers? Mm. So yeah, we we brought him back actually. Yeah, because uh, he spent some time with the Cincinnati Reds in between, yeah. in between with the Diamondbacks, and then he came back for the season. So when he was first with the Diamondbacks, he wore number 44. And this, the story with, with that is, so obviously Goldie comes up, Goldie gets number 44, and Micah Owings, I think, once it goes to number 15 or some shit like that. So you have Micah Owings coming back. So the story behind that is my sister – has a boyfriend her name or his name is Micah and she tells me I want to get him a brute squad jersey and I want to put number 44 on that and I was like well for Goldie or what and she's like no for Micah Owings and I was like the only person that's ever worn number 44 for the Diamondbacks has been Paul Goldschmidt you are not a good fan <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the brute squad I'm supposed to be this guy that knows a lot of stuff about Diamondbacks which obviously I don't so she texts me <laughs> me the screenshot of Micah Owings number 44 jersey so and when he came back in 2011 he picked a different number but I, I always thought that Paul Goldschmidt had worn number 44 apparently that's not the case and I'm not very uh, you know not a very good fan well and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here uh, Lopez or actually Joe uh, Micah Owings I think in 2008 against the Pirates had a six RBI game. Uh, he was a good pitch, a good hitting pitcher, if I remember correct. Lopez, can you correct me on that? I don't know. Joe might be able to do it. He, he's the stat guy. I don't do stats. Yeah, Joe, <laughs> Joe, Joe, get on I, that right now, Joe. I'm, I'm not the stat guy, but Micah Owings, <laughs> one, I remember him coming in as like a pinch hitter, and he was like one of the first yeah. pitcher, pitchers that used to come in as, in as a pinch hitter. So He was good. Highly likely. Now he wasn't like Granky good when it comes to hitting, but he definitely was not a, a slouch, if I remember correctly. But yeah, he. I came think back if uh, if the number of hits, if Joe's stats are, uh, if the number of hits you're asking about equals the number of alcoholic drinks he's had today, then that is correct. Yeah. So I think <laughs> eight sounds about right. So you're batting a thousand. Cheers. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. Hashtag winning. <laughs> so let's go back to 2011. One of the guys that we haven't really talked about is Gerardo Parra, man. The sassiest yeah. guy. Max, the sassiest guy on the Colorado Rockies. The sassiest guy on the Washington Nationals. The guy is so sassy. So in, in September, 
I knew that we had gotten into some sort of uh, uh, scuffle with the Dodgers in 2011. So I looked it up again. So you have Gerardo Parra and and the Dodgers pitcher throws to him. I, I forgot the guy's name. It wasn't anybody important. So Gerardo Parra hits his home run <laughs> and pimps it. Probably pimps it. Even the broadcasters were saying Gerardo Parra has not left uh, home plate yet as the balls are boring. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a two-run home run watching the uh, replay, but it wasn't. It was just Gerardo Parra was taking so damn long to get out and whoop the first base. So Gerardo Parra pimped that home run for so long. So then he, he goes around the bases first, second, third, and he takes his time coming to home. And uh, when he crosses home plate, he does his his thing, and then he says something to the catcher. I forgot who the catcher was for the, for the Dodgers at the time. The catcher barked back at him, and Gerardo Parra basically was like, you know, it's over, or, you know, don't throw to me like that, or deal with it, whatever Gerardo Parra was saying, but it was super sassy. So <laughs> then he goes back into the dugout, and if you watch the clip, Clayton Kershaw, of course, the biggest crybaby on the Dodgers, is standing outside <laughs> – uh, uh, not outside, hanging over the dugout railing, barking and barking and barking and barking and barking. He's so upset. Why is Clayton Kershaw upset about this? He's not even the guy that's pitching, but Clayton Kershaw is the most animated guy in the Dodger dugout. So animated that Matt Williams is basically turning to the Dodger dugout, telling everybody, what do you want me to do about it? You know, shut the fuck up. And uh, so the very next day, you know, so nothing came of, nothing came of that. There was no brawl. There was nothing like that. But the very next day, Kershaw pitches, and Parr is up to bat. And Kershaw hits him about just right below the rib. Parr doesn't do nothing. Parr doesn't even really look at Kershaw. He just goes to first base. The umpire immediately ejects Clayton Kershaw, who goes, Me? I can't believe it. Why are you This isn't happening to me. Me? And so, of course, he's upset. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, Don Manley comes out of the uh, out of the dugout. He doesn't know what's going on. I'm like, come on, guys, you know exactly what's going on. Don't give us this fucking bullshit. And this was in L.A. And uh, you know, since then, that that was the moment for me in 2011, where yeah, we're rivals. If you're going to talk shit about us or Clayton Kershaw, you've been on the team for 30 years. You're going to keep being a crybaby about shit like this. That's when 2011. The Diamondbacks and the Dodgers became rivals to me. And, yep. and Clayton Kershaw, I think, and even the Dodgers team have been the biggest crybabies in the past 10 years where they can't believe it. They can't believe that something bad is happening to them. They can't believe this. They can't believe that. And, and as Diamondbacks and as the fans, we don't play that shit. And when Kirk Gibson was the manager, we, we really didn't play that shit because Kirk Gibson would tell you to your face that, you done fucked up and you're stupid. I mean, he's the biggest veteran. He was the biggest veteran coach on the team. And so 2011, that's when it solidified it for me that the Dodgers and Diamondbacks were rivals. <laughs> I agree. Um, I mean, obviously, these last couple of years have kind of jaded that view. And, yes, I, I'm convinced that, you know, it's going to come back again at some point. But, uh, for that time frame, uh, honestly, between uh, 2011 and 2017, uh, I really think we had a very spirited uh, rivalry um, uh, between those two clubs, and in, 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 in a very big way too. 
which is it 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 has been fun to watch this year, not so much and last year, but we will rise again. So, uh, yeah. So going to September, they hit a rough patch, lost six, not fun, uh, but they followed it up and uh, kind of got back into their winning ways, winning the next nine, and then they were off the races. Um. So I'm gonna be honest here. I don't remember much of that losing streak at all. Totally um, I'm gonna be really, really honest on that. Um, but like looking at some of the stat lines, um, I, I can actually attribute some of that winning streak to uh, Goldschmidt. Um, specifically, I did notice, you know, as of August first, obviously his first game. Uh, but during that short time frame, he was able to get 26 RBIs between now and the end of the season. That's not a small amount. That's, you know, that's very, that's very, um, that's pretty big. Um, I'd have to look at a game by game log on that uh, to see how he contributed to that, to you know, you know, from the losing streak to the win streak. But I bet that he contributed quite a bit. Uh, he definitely hit his stride. He hit his stride quickly. Um, that's kind of my take on that. Um, like I said, I don't remember a lot of that losing streak. Uh, I'm not really surprised by it. Uh, I think we've all seen. Uh, some hot teams uh, in any sport, really, that will hit a losing streak at odd times of the year despite everything they've done prior to it, only to get right back on that. And I think that actually encapsulates exactly what this was, is, you know, it was a hot team, well, uh, you know, well-made, uh, on the same page. They hit, like, you know, they hit a bad spot, and they got right back on that saddle again, and they were good to go. Uh, that's my take, at least. And I think Goldschmidt actually helped uh, on that because he he really did become the everyday starter. Um, in fact, I think Xavier Nady, did he break his wrist, Lopez? Something happened at the end of the year where he was not available and Goldie was the like day-to-day guy. So going to Xavier Nady real quick, he, yeah, he was going to actually platoon with Paul Goldschmidt at first base. So he was basically... Yeah. And Goldie was going to help him out. And then Xavier Navy did break his wrist. And so Goldie became the emperor lord at first base. But going back to what you were talking about, the losing streak in 2011, I mean, um, Atlanta was during that losing streak. It was three games in Atlanta. They were the team that actually handed the 2011 Diamondbacks their only season series loss. So out of all the teams the Diamondbacks played, they won every season series in 2011. The Atlanta Braves, we went up and we lost three out of five against them. So the Braves were the biggest threat to the Diamondbacks. Every other team that we faced, even the Phillies during that losing streak, um, we came back and and beat them. So um, I don't think it was that big of a deal um, considering where the season went and Maybe with uh, Goldie in the clubhouse and kind of the change of the guard in August 1st or Xavier Nady going down, you know, team just wasn't feeling right. But we lost the series against the Atlanta Braves. I, it wasn't anything major for the Diamondbacks in 2011 during that losing streak. It was in September, too, where we had that Dodger series where Harada and uh, Kershaw got into it. So September really kind of sparked the Diamondbacks, you know, especially going into the postseason. The Dodgers were very, very upset that their uh, their big uh, team and their big billion-dollar team couldn't 
couldn't match which with the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are nothing to them, you know. So <laughs> September was a big month for the Diamondbacks and a, and a bad month for the Dodgers. Sucks to be them. <laughs> or at least back then. <laughs> so let's go into the 2011 playoffs, Patrick. Okay, so, I mean, we didn't know that Ryan Braun was a cheater at that time, and it didn't come out. <laughs> He only knew that he wore mascara. Yes. Well, fuck. And his bat is so huge, dude. Like, why do you need a big fucking caveman club to go up to fucking... (laughs) Somehow he can... Caveman, dude. Maybe it's the roids. I don't know. I didn't touch a sample. But, you know, the dude... That dude, basically, I'm not going to blame the whole series on him. I mean, Dimebacks did lose the first two games, and Braun wasn't wasn't uh, fucking crazy good. But, dude, looking back at that, Ryan Braun, I mean, that's a big thing for us on the snake pit. There's a lot of people that, you know, he's a juicer, he's this, he's that, and he is, and he was a fucking dick. Came out later, but I think that series was good. The dot, or the uh, the Brewers pitcher, was it uh, Galarraga? Or Gallego? Gallego. Gallego. Yeah. Gallego, yeah. He was fucking insane, dude. He was really good. And uh, he shut us down. And, and, you know, what was that? It was a game one, Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think so. He shut it, us down. It, it, and I give the Diamondbacks credit. Like, we lost the first two games, and it was a best of five series. Um, and it really looked like we were just going to go out. And if I'm being really honest, like, as a fan, with how they done that season – Yes, I would have been upset, but we just we just come out of nowhere, just done so well. I probably would have gone into the off season being okay, but but after that first two, after those first two games, really made it exciting, and we were this close to winning that series, very very close. It was very exciting, um, specifically in Goldschmidt's. Uh, Grand Slam, as I spoke about earlier, was actually one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I think he was only the third rookie to hit a, a Grand Slam in, in the postseason. And uh, someone's gonna like correct me on that, but I'm pretty sure he was only the third ever to hit it in, we gotta in the postseason. Joey. That guy. Oh, that's that, so, guy, that, sound, that sounds right. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't true, it is now. <laughs> That's our motto on this podcast. I mean, so the first two games obviously were in Milwaukee. They had home field advantage. Um, Daniel Hudson didn't do too too well. Um, but you go into game three, you go into game four at Chase Field, and the crowd's hyped, and, and, and Dimebacks are doing well. They really turned things around there. I even remember watching a clip where, Gibby looks so satisfied with himself, you know, kind of hanging over the dugout steps there, just smiling, especially when Goldie hit that grand slam. Yeah. Gilby, yep. his elbows were as high as a smile. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, you know, okay, we, we have it. And we actually had it in game five. I mean, and Brian Roberts tied it up, I want to say, in game five. He did, and then yeah. yep. J.J. Putz came in in the 10th and nothing against J.J. Putz. He, it, it just didn't happen for us. Um, he gave up an RBI single to somebody, and that was the end of the series. But 
the, the first two games in Milwaukee were kind of marred by the Diamondbacks in 2011. You know, they didn't have the batting for those two games. There was no offense. And, and then when they came home to Chase Field for game three and game four, it was like we exploded. We've been waiting. And what's funny is that both of our ballparks kind of look alike in Milwaukee and at Chase yeah, Field. Really? So yeah. obviously the fans were on one side and the fans were on the other side. But, you know, um, it, the game three and four was great. I, the loudest it's been in Chase Field. So there's three times. You have the 2001 World Series, uh, not in Chase Field, but uh, the 2001 World Series we shared so much. And then, then uh, this one, uh, when Goldie hit the Grand Slam. Biggest time in Chase Field. And then number three is going to be Archie Bradley with his triple. But oh, it, it, was yes. awesome, it was awesome. But we couldn't hold it together in game five. And obviously the Brewers didn't go anywhere, so. And we have Ryan Brown to thank for that. <laughs> we do in like a lot of ways. Um, it, it it really was impressive just how in those in games um, three and four, just how everything came together. Uh, and it wasn't just like Goldie. I mean, Upton actually had some huge games there too. The offenses started clicking, and it just everything worked. Um, but you know we couldn't quite get there. Um, I don't think I ever, you know, obviously I, I, I hate on Braun as well. I don't know if I blame him for us losing the series. We just couldn't get it done. And we were a relatively, I should say young team, but we were definitely a new team to the playoffs. Uh, and it was going to be a, you know, it was going to be a, a really you know hard ask for anyone. So I, I'll, as a fan, I always like look at that, you know, season fondly and, you know, I'm very happy with what, what what happened. It's more 2012 where I kind of get like really bitter about what could be because especially with what they established in 2011, um, that's kind of where my head's at. Who was your favorite player of 2011 besides Paul Goldschmidt? Um, Man, I think I was always a big par guy. Uh, I, I loved Upton. Don't get me wrong. Upton was awesome. Uh, but Para was always just so much fun to watch. He was great. He was great in the field. His glove was spectacular. Um, he really showed up uh, at the plate in kind of some great and unexpected ways. I think Para was my favorite, actually. I got to go with you? Miguel Montero. Miguel oh, Montero. Miggy? <laughs> yeah, Miggy tacos, man. And then if you ask uh, if you ask Taco Bell uh, to have a Miggy style, they'd put some sour cream and tomatoes on them for you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But Miggy, Miggy was the leader of the team. And, uh, you know, he really kind of showed everybody what it's about. But Miggy was my, my favorite. My favorite player. When I always joked about Miggy, and it wasn't that season, it was uh, subsequent seasons, is that uh, after watching uh, the Batman movie uh, with the uh, Heath Ledger uh, Joker, uh, Miggy had that same smile where it looked like it looked like someone had cut his lips. <laughs> And I swear he looked just like the Joker without the like makeup. I'm not sure okay. if you guys have seen a picture with put them with that. <laughs> yep. Catcher on the Diamondbacks in 2011. Don't forget about Hector Blanco, dude. Machete. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Machete. I forgot about. I forgot about him. Machete. I forgot about that guy. God, that's a good. That's a great point. Ah, oh, me- memory lane. 
<laughs> also in 2011, Wade Miley was on the team. That dude still pitches today, man. He threw a no-hitter. Threw no-hitter. no now, yeah. Oh, my God, that's right. I forgot about that. Man, I'm getting old. I'm getting really old, guys. An actual <laughs> nine-inning hitter. Can you believe that? <laughs> they have nine-inning nine, nine inning no-hitters now. <laughs> <laughs> We're not supposed to be talking about this year, by the way. <laughs> the same. That's all right. So... I think for a lot of fans, uh, both of us included here, um, 2011 was just like validation. Like, okay, the plan is working. Like, you know, all these you know young players like Goldie, like Upton, they're there. We're ready to rock. Um, we had our pitching base was in place. Uh, Huddy and Kennedy, bam, they they were gonna be great. Everything was kind of in place in in our in, in our minds. You know, it, if not. Not necessarily to be a, uh, a, a, a you know a contender for the World Series, but certainly another run of the playoffs. You know that was definitely in the cards. And going into 2012, they definitely started out well, and then the wheels fell right off. All the wheels fell off. Um, and I'm not, I, I'd have to look look back at the notes, but I think. I think both Huddy and Kennedy got injured. Um, Upton uh, did not have the same year as 2011. You know, Goldschmidt did Goldschmidt things, but he was still you know, he was he, he was just a you know it's just his it wasn't even his first like full it, it was his first full year in the league, so couldn't expect much from him. Everything that had gone right in 2011 didn't go right in 2012, and all those expectations that we had as fans. Uh, we're not realized. It was really frustrating uh, for all of us because we'd seen what that team could do, and it didn't happen again. Lopez, you want to comment? Yeah, the team went what five hundred for for yeah twenty twenty. Yeah, we, we went uh, eighty one and eighty one. Yep. I think we all saw the fire in twenty eleven. You know, with Kirk Gibson and everything else, and we thought that this was going to be the team, and it didn't manifest in twenty twelve. Um, the Dodgers actually won the division that year. Then twenty thirteen, Kirk Gibson was fired and replaced with Chip Hale. Well, Alan Trammell for one game, and then Chip Hale came in in twenty fourteen. So the team was obviously done with Kirk Gibson by twenty twelve. Uh, twenty thirteen, he was uh, terminated. You know. We all wanted we all wanted it to be, but it, it wasn't going to be. It just wasn't going to happen. And uh, Ian Kennedy yeah. actually in 2013, and, and I think he's the guy that hit Puig and started the huge brawl in 2013, which actually was a two brawl game in 2013 with the Dodgers. That's right. Yeah, That's right. The hype right there, man. Fucking what was it? Matt Williams was choking somebody out. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt Williams. Person before in San Francisco, and that motherfucker can shake hands. It sucks. <laughs> Don't shake Matt Williams. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, tell me that. <laughs> 2012 was a disappointment. 2013 was even a bigger disappointment. And Chip Hale was even a bigger disappointment after that. And we had got Tony Lavello, but yeah, the team had so much potential. 2011. It, it was good. I mean, we had pitching. We had a lot of good pitching, and we had a lot of good defense, and, and the managers clicked at that time, but just as in, it didn't go into 2012 like we expected. Nope. Not even a bit. 
<laughs> well, it certainly wasn't uh, Goldie's fault that things fell apart, you know. Blessed be his name. Yes, yes. America's <laughs> first baseman, as Joe said on the, the sheet there. Yeah, it's so you know, as a as a Cardinals fan, it's it's pretty cool to to have him. Obviously he's not you know, he's not thirty six homers and hundred and twenty five RBIs these days, but um you know, he just He's still not uh, fast, though. I think he has a career high five stolen bases already this year. I don't know how that's happening, but well, uh, I can tell you, I, just a smart I can ball tell you player. Right now, but that's exactly what I was going to say. He's yeah. a smart player. He knows how to make things happen. It's he's he's athletic, of course, but I think Goldie gets his accolades because he is so smart. So a couple of points here. My wife will say that Goldie runs the bases like Fred Flintstone driving a car with the with the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I am never gonna be able to see him run and not think of that analogy now. That's awesome. Car there, but another thing. Going back, yeah, two thousand one, two thousand uh, NLDS. Goldie hit a a home run off of Zachary in game two. Of mm. that series, and so you know, I forgot about that. For Diamondbacks fans, Zach Greinke is also kind of one of our, you know, beloved, and and Paul Goldschmidt is also one of our beloved. So that was the first time where they kind of interacted, and uh, that was nice to see as well because we never knew that Greinke was going to end up on our team, but Goldie hitting a home run off of him that was pretty nice. Can gotcha. I say fuck? Can you put that in there? Fuck the dog. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Consider it in. Kershaw, you're the biggest fucking baby in the fucking MLB, dude. You suck, dude. (laughs) There you have it. That is the story. And these are the basis stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Basis Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcasts at the Stories Pods on Twitter. It's our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. Oh, do you want to say anything about your mascot, Baxter, being horrifying, <laughs> terrifying. Uh, and, and, All right, I'm, I'm going to say this right now. Hold on. I think Phoenix mascots in general are terrifying. You have a fucking right. gorilla. Not you made have, for kids. You have a fucking right. gorilla. You have the bobcat. Baxter's <laughs> terrifying as shit. Uh, All right, you've got hold the on. coyote. Hold on here. Hold on. Hold horrific. On, Joe, you're going to get muted. <laughs> Joe, Joe, hold on. Hold on. Let me... Let me uh, protect one mascot and then crucify the others. First off, um, the uh, the Suns, their mascot, has a good backstory. Has a great backstory, actually. So the whole reason why the gorilla is a thing is that back in the 70s, sending someone a gorillagram, like literally, was a thing. You would send someone a message via someone dressed up as a gorilla. And that's how that happened. Is that someone in the game sent someone a gorillagram, and he stayed during the whole game dressed up in that same suit. 
and that's how the mascot exists, you know, exists now. So here's a good backstory. Whereas Baxter is a horrendous nightmare of tremendous proportions. No one likes Baxter. Uh, Suns fans hate him tremendously. Pardon me. Uh, sorry, Diamondbacks fans hate him. Suns fans probably hate him too. Suns fans, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, Suns fans too. Uh, Coyotes fans, it's a coyote. He's no one cares. <laughs> Uh, but Baxter, I've always joked with, with uh, Matt here that I wish that Cobra Commander could have been our mascot. <laughs> mm. It would make sense. He's a serpent. Just make him, yeah. like, you know, uh, just make him um, Rattlesnake Commander. It would be funny. It would harken back to a lot of 80s uh, and 90s nostalgia that we all know. And it would make a lot of sense, but no, they went, went with a bobcat who looks like a nightmare, and no one likes him. So, Lopez, do you want to comment on that? The Diamondbacks went with Baxter the Bobcat over Bank One Ballpark. So, Bob, Bank One Ballpark, Bobcat. <laughs> they thought yeah. that was a good idea. The guy looks like a flare dinosaur from Jurassic Park that's shooting lava at somebody. Um, (laughs) they had the lucha libres which was awesome because they would literally jump over the from the stands into the field and like wrestle each other and that was a great thing we all wanted the lucha libres to come back but the dimebacks thought baxter the bobcat would be best and i guess the kids like him but kids aren't liking him enough to show up to the ballpark because nobody's there no, I, I, I actually that's a great point. I forgot about the uh, uh, the luchadors. That would have been awesome. That would be amazing. I, w- I would be way down with that. That'd be super cool. I don't know why the team goes with Baxter. Uh, I guess only kids like Baxter, though. I imagine that they have horror like nightmares about him like every night. Um, I don't know. Just he's terrible. Uh, I'm not going to even try and compare him to like the like the Philly fanatic. Uh, those are good mascots. We have a bad one. I'm not even going to even go there. If you'd like the Diamondbacks, follow us at azsnakepit.com or if you want to be a super fan, azbrutesquad.com. Make it happen.